The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am your social worker with the microphone. Thanks for joining us this morning. I um, are, and we are listening to Voice, it's early in the morning, folks, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I am going to be interviewing this morning Beverly Hyman Feed, and her new book is Nana, What's Cancer? Now, in 2002, Beverly, who is, she's an artist, an author, and stage four cancer survivor. She was given two months to live. Seven years later, and two experimental drugs later, she teamed with her 11-year-old granddaughter. This is an amazing story. Tessa May Hammermesh to pen the book, Nana, What's Cancer? This loving conversation between grandmother and granddaughter tackles tough questions about cancer in a kid-friendly but honest way. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Beverly. So nice to be here, Catherine. Thank Great you for having me. What a book. And, and, and the book itself, as the readers will know once they purchase the book, uh, it's really well written, but the illustrations are, are fantastic as well. So you get the beautiful illustrations as well as the story. All right, so Beverly, obviously you had stage four cancer. That's part of the motivation for writing the book. But what about writing the book with your granddaughter? How did that come about? Well, actually, it was all my granddaughter's idea, and uh, it was her idea when she was eight years old. It's taken us three years to write the book, finish the book, get it published, get it out there. Uh, But one day when she was eight years old, she wanted to do a book report on my first book, Living with Cancer. I I Can Do This Living with Cancer. And she wanted to do a book report for her second grade class. And her mother said, I really don't think that's appropriate. Children don't know about cancer the way you do, Tess. You know about it because your Nana has cancer, et cetera. And she said, well, why don't we write a book explaining cancer to children? And her mother said, that's a great idea. Call your grandmother. And she called me, and I thought it was a wonderful idea, a win-win idea. Yeah, it is, but how you know it's amazing. She's eight years old. I mean, I wouldn't expect that from an eight-year-old, maybe from a twelve-year-old, but an eight-year-old to be able to, first of all, come up with the idea and feel comfortable doing it. I mean, in the, you know, wanting to go and talk just initially, wanting to go in her second-grade class and talk about your book. But so, what did you do, and what did your daughter do to uh, have Tessa um, or? be so comfortable besides her own personality, what did you do so that she was so comfortable with her grandmother having cancer and talking about it and not feeling embarrassed or not feeling ashamed? Well, this is uh, one of the things that I'm uh, very adamant about and feel very strongly about is that one of the objects of this book is to open up conversation about cancer. Uh, My grandmother and my mother and my two sisters died of cancer. So 
So I've been around cancer, unfortunately, my whole life. And in the 2002 bout with cancer was my second one, uh, second bout with cancer. And I feel that the best present you can give your family is to talk openly and not to have cancer be a secret or a dirty word and to uh, just treat it as any other disease and talk about it and have family meetings and include everyone and have open conversations. So you're talking, you're saying, Beverly, have an open dialogue with your family if you're diagnosed with cancer. But when you say an open dialogue, because many families do this, but they exclude the children. Maybe they don't exclude the teenage children or the older children, but the 8-year-olds and the younger children, they tend to exclude them. And that's that's not what you did. I I feel as though you can bring them in and not only bring them in, but let them know what they can do to help. Because if they can make a card for you, if they can bring you flowers one day, if they can sit next to you and and hug you and watch a movie with you, Uh, that's helping boost your immune system. That's good for them and good for you. So what do you say, Beverly, to people who say, well, they're going to be too frightened if you tell an 8-year-old or a 7-year-old that their mother or their grandmother has cancer, that it's too scary for them, and so it's not a good idea to let them know? What do you say to those people? I say to those people, try to explain cancer to them in a non-scary way and uh, to read this book together. Well, when Tess brought this idea to me, I said to her, write, write down all the questions that bother you, and I will try to answer them. And that's what this book is, uh, Questions and Answers. And I try to make it in a non-scary way, and I have a glossary in the back so that all the cancer terms are explained in a child-friendly way. And I think you tell a child as much as need know. You don't need to go too far. They don't want to know too much. They ask a question. They just want to know that immediate answer. You know, I'm making a comparison. It might sound ridiculous, but it's kind of the same way uh, you tell children about sex. You answer exactly. their questions, right? And then, exactly. But you don't go into to details that they're not really interested in hearing. That's right. Yeah, and that's what you did in the book. Like, uh, well, the first chapter, obviously, uh, your granddaughter is asking, "Well, what is cancer?" Mm-hmm. And so you, and, and it's a really good description. I mean, you're very, very simple but truthful way. It's informational. Thank you. Yeah, and and don't you think this is the other thing? It's sometimes it's not so much. I mean, I I don't know if this was your experience, Beverly, but not so, it's it's the information, but it's also how you present the information. Exactly. If you present, yeah. We always tried to sit in a uh, place that she enjoyed. Sometimes we'd go to a restaurant and have uh, a Sprite, or sometimes we'd sit at home and have tea and cookies. And we always, I always tried to make it a very um, friendly place so she wouldn't have bad thoughts. It wasn't in a hospital room that I was describing cancer. It was in a pleasant surrounding. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good idea. That really makes it's simple, but it makes a real difference. That's mm-hmm. true. Not in the hospital, not in the doctor's office, but right. at a, a rest. Yeah, at a fun place. At a fun place. Yeah. So, what about this question? Because I think this is something that kids do think about, and you answer this one in the book too. Can I mean, what causes cancer? Yes, but this next one is more important. I think. Can you catch it? Because I think you know it's. That is a fear of kids. Can, of like course. you catch it like the flu, or am yeah. I going to get it from you, Grandma? Yeah. You know? I I think that's 
very important to let them know right away. There is nothing that you can do that would cause your grandmother, grandfather, aunt, mother, father to get cancer. Nothing you could do can make them catch it, and you can't catch it from them. Cancer comes from the inside. It is not contagious. It is from cells that have moved into the bloodstreams and have split apart. And the best thing you can do for anyone that has cancer is go up and put your arms around them, and that's, nothing will happen to you. You can drink from their cup. You can sit on their lap. You can kiss them, and you will never get it from them. It has to come from within inside. Well, and the next question is, because you mentioned that all the, the many of the women in your family have had cancer. So are we talking, this is breast cancer. No, it's not. It's abdomen. Abdomen cancer. Oh, uh-huh. cancer. Okay. Actually, well, what but... I have is abdomen, but my uh, the members of my family have all had different kinds of cancer. So it's a variety of different yes. kinds of cancer. Is this something that as she's gotten older, that Tessa would be concerned about because, you know, many of the people in your family do have cancer. Would That's a question that she asked, or would you approach with her? That No, she's, she's not asked that question, but if she does, or when she does, um, she will have regular checkups, and like her mother does, and pay very close attention to it, and... This book is very hopeful because I feel very hopeful about cancer. It's come such a long way since my mother has had it. There are so many new experimental drugs coming down the pike all the time. And to keep informed about what is happening in the world of cancer, doctors share their information now uh, all over the world together on the Internet and with each other. So I think cancer is in a very hopeful place. Uh, yeah, and I think that comes across in the book as well, that it is in a hope. Yeah. It, but the other question is now, and I, maybe we should wait because we have to go to break in a couple minutes, but, uh, and this I think is a major question, is it okay to feel sad when someone you love has cancer? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big one because I think, um, you know, you know, you walk away or a child walks away after you, and, and it's it can even it can be scary, it, it, or you can feel sad and feel bad. So, and it's okay. Uh, I, yeah, I want to talk about that um, when we come back from our break. Is it okay to feel sad when someone you love has cancer? Um, we're talking to Beverly Hyman-Feed, and she is author of Nana, What's Cancer? I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone here on Voice America. Variety.com. Thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, we will be back in a few minutes, so please don't go away. Thanks. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Oh. 
Dance is Life, Life is Dance, broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zuck, your social worker with a microphone. And this morning, you are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And I am talking to Beverly Hyman Feed. She's author of Nana, What's Cancer? She was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. She is a cancer survivor. And she's written this book in conjunction with her daughter. It's all about... uh, Telling, being honest and open with children about your diagnosis of cancer, whether you're a mother or father, parent, grandparent. Um, and I should say, Beverly, I mean, I mean, you're an amazing person. Not only have you survived cancer, but you are a writer, a painter. You travel. You have five grandchildren. Yes. And are a, I didn't say this in the beginning, but legislative ambassador and hero of hope for the American Cancer Society. So yes. Beverly travels all over the country uh, to talk about cancer and tell, share her story. So is there a website that you have? That yes, is, it's yeah. BeverlyHymanFeed.com. BeverlyHymanFeed.com. So for more information about where Beverly's going to be, what she's doing, you can go to the website. Thank but you. here's the big question. I mentioned it just before we took the break. Is it okay to feel sad when someone you love has cancer? I mean, and that's, and I think children, that's a big question because I, and, and I think that, you know, sometimes as adults you want to tell, give them the information and then walk away from it and don't want to make them feel bad or sad. Um, so how do you handle that? I mean, it is okay to feel bad. What did you do with your daughter, your granddaughter with Tess? Well, it's important to let them know it's all right to let out their feelings and not only let out their feelings, but to talk to somebody uh, and maybe talk to more than one somebody, maybe talk to you about it, maybe get them some help. While we were writing this book, Tessa's grandfather died of lung cancer, um, and that was a very tough time for her. She was then uh, nine or ten years old, and it was a very rough time for her, and we suggested that she speak to um, 
a counselor that we found for her, also to let her teachers know that she was feeling sad. And a very important thing, we thought to let her friends know she should tell her friends what she's going through because you get a little withdrawn, you get a little sad, and they can help, and counselors can help, and parents can help. And yes, you can feel sad, it's natural, and everybody that you tell can help you. And the bottom line is here, you can't go through this alone. That is the bottom line. I think there's another piece to it, too. It's okay, you said, to feel sad, talk to wherever you can get your teachers, parents, friends. But there's another piece to this, too, and you talk about this in the book. You can feel sad, you can feel disappointed, but you can also feel angry. And that's something I think that we should address because kids can get really angry about this. You know, she lost her grandfather, and now my grandmother has cancer. So dealing with that anger, let's talk about that because that's even more toxic, I think. Well, I think here again you just need some help. You need the right person, a qualified person, uh, to talk to that's going to say the right things and going to help you talk through it and going to help you be uh, vocal about it because um, you don't want to keep it to yourself and feel guilty that you feel that way. Yeah, it's, it's okay. To, it's all about loss. It's about grief, and we all feel angry when that happens. That's true. When yeah. I was first diagnosed with the second bout of cancer in 2002 and given two months to live, my husband was very angry, and he didn't know what had hit him. He was just mad. And finally, we talked it out, and I said, what are you so mad about? And he said, you've always been the one that's eaten right. You've always been the one that exercised. This isn't fair. Why should this be happening to you? And uh, we talked for quite a bit about it, and it really helped. He's, then we became on the same team, and cancer became our enemy instead of me becoming his enemy. Yeah, that's that's. A, I think that's a great example, and it, that, a perfect example of how you have to talk about it and talk about that anger, and, and you, you get closer to each other, as you say. The the enemy is the, the disease, not the, not the person who's supporting right. you the most. Right. Yeah. Now, what about this? Because I always think other getting back to Tess, your granddaughter, and I just anybody who's just joining us, we're talking to Beverly Hyman Feed, and she's the author of Nana, What's Cancer, a book written with her and a granddaughter about uh, about uh, Beverly's cancer and and uh, how to deal with that in terms of the family, and particularly with her granddaughter. Uh, what did other parents? You know, you you tell Tess, share how you feel about. Your, you having cancer or your, her grandfather dying of cancer, but did you ever get resistance from other families who, you know, because there are other people or other families who say, we don't want our kids talking about cancer. We don't want them to have that kind of information. Did you ever get any of that or did Tess ever get any of that from her friends? No, we haven't had anybody uh, give us resistance, but what we have had is that some people say, you know, I don't want to talk about my cancer. The grown-up will say that. Uh-huh. And everybody's entitled to handle it their own way. Uh, we're not preaching to people and saying this is there's only one way to do this. We just feel as though an open conversation and being honest with your children is the best way to do it. If you feel as though you can't talk about your cancer and you don't want anyone to discuss it, that's up to you. Uh, but I personally think... It's better for the whole family to be involved and better for the whole family to discuss it openly. 
I think that's, as you know, I am a social worker, so I have that social worker perspective, and that is so too. I think also, Beverly, because if you have a family of grown-ups or older children and everyone knows the diagnosis and is talking about it and you leave a child out, they, whether or not they can verbalize it, they feel it and they feel left out. Of course. And so then it's hurting them on two levels or on several levels because they not only feel uh, something going on in the family and know that somebody is ill, but that they're not qualified to be part of it. And another piece to that is that, yes, somebody is ill, and if, they, if the child doesn't have information about the illness, that you, there are cures, there are drugs, there's medication, something can be done, they imagine all kinds of things that right. may be worse than the illness itself. Absolutely right. So, uh, that's you why said, one of the honesty. things I like to say uh, for families is to have a family meeting once a week and bring everybody up to to par on what's going on with the person that's ill and what how they're doing that week, uh, if there's anything new, if they're improving, uh, if the tumors have shrunk. That's good news for everybody and makes everybody feel as though uh, they're involved, they're included, and perhaps they've helped. It also puts some structure to the whole thing, so you don't feel, it seems to me, as you're describing it, you don't feel out of control. If you have a meeting every week, you know you can look forward to that meeting with information. So That's it's right. not all over the place, because I think when one has a, a serious illness, you tend to feel out of control. That kind of puts some control on the situation. Yes, and speaking of control, another thing that a child needs to know is that if it's a mother that has uh, contacted cancer, that they'll be still be well taken care of without feeling that they're selfish. They need to know that the, their carpool is still going to be driven and that their lunches are still going to be made and that they'll be pick up, picked up from school just the same and that somebody will be in charge of it and their dinners are going to be made and they will still be taken care of and they don't have to ask well, what about me? And I think it was one of the websites you had a, uh, I think you had written this, uh, uh, it was a great article, you know, call in the troops. Yes. Which is what you're taught. You can call in the troops when you get sick. Absolutely. And the troops, yeah. Because you're, here again, your friends want to help. And if they want to, let them. They want to bring over dinner that uh, for two, three nights, great. They want to drive your carpool, great. They want to drive you to chemotherapy, Great. You need all the help you can get. This is this is not a time to try and do it by yourself. Which women tend to do, if I may say. That. Yes, we they do. Women, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. I'll take care of it. Yep. And I'll manage. Yeah. Well, as you say, call in the troops. And 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 I think one of the things you said in that article was that you can, you know, don't have to have the same person taking you to chemo every time. You can right. have a different friend, and once a month, you know, everybody has takes their turn. That's um, right. Yeah. So I think the last question just related to children and cancer uh, that I want to really address with you is, do children get cancer too? That's a question, I'm sh- you know, that a child's going to be asking um, and be concerned with, um, and that's one of the questions that you address in the book. Yes, unfortunately they do. Uh, the good news is, is that the average age of a person getting cancer is 66 years old. But there are children that get cancer. 
There are special doctors. That's what Tess wanted to know. Uh, there are special doctors, pediatric oncologists, that handle only children. Uh, they have the best medicines. They confer with other doctors. And more likely than not, children get better and go on and lead a wonderful life. I think children need to know that, obviously, and this is what you cover in the book. Well, there are a lot of other issues that you cover in the book, and uh, I just, uh, I want, so I want to reiterate, Nana, What's Cancer? This is by Beverly Hyman Feed and Tessa May Hammermesh. You have yes. an amazing granddaughter. Mm-hmm, she is amazing. <laughs> and you can buy the book at bookstores everywhere and the website, again, that we can go to so we can kind of, Find not only by the book, but find out where you are if anybody's interested in going to any of your lectures or seminars. It's BeverlyHymanFeed.com. BeverlyHymanFeed.com. And you're in California, right? Yes. I'm in Santa Barbara. Santa but, Barbara. Okay, beautiful spot. I've been there a couple of years ago. Oh, good. But yeah, also, great. you can get the book on Cancer.org or Amazon.com. Okay, Cancer.org or Amazon.com. Thanks so much, Be- Beverly, uh, great having you on the show this morning. Thank you, Catherine. It was a pleasure being on. Yep. Have a great day. I'm Catherine Sox. You're you too. VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Don't go away. I will be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Are you living with passion, purpose, and play? Are you ready to overcome your fears, claim your power and purpose to make your mark on the world, but don't know where to start? Tuck Self, the Rebel Bell, will inspire and empower you to squeeze as much juice and joy out of life as possible. You'll find your passion, live on purpose, and do it all with a boatload of play. Join this amazing voice for Tuck Talk every Monday at 6 p.m. in the East and 3 p.m. in the West on the Voice America Variety Channel. Live rebelliciously and on your terms. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're 
listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I want to talk to you about some things today. always like to tell you about some of these new books that I've read or authors that I've interviewed. And here's one that's especially kind of, it's a dynamite book. It's called Miracle on the Hudson, the Survivors of Flight 1549 Tell Their Extraordinary Stories of Courage, Faith, and Determination. Now, most of you have seen Sully Sullenberger on television, and he's written a book. He was the captain of Flight 1549, which was the flight that went down in the Hudson, and he is the exemplifies heroism. But the survivors of that flight have also written their own book. The title of Sully's book, I'm not sure what it is, but Jeffrey Zaslow, a very well-known author, co-authored the book with him. Well, this book was also written by some New York Times uh, writers and contributors, William Prochnow and Laura Parker, but the actual survivors themselves got together and authored the book. Um, It's really it, it, I don't know if you, it's chilling, I guess I would say. It's, each person, each one of these survivors has a different story. But I was talking to Pam Siegel yesterday, and she's a senior vice president at Bank of America, and she was one of the passengers on the plane. And her story is very different than other stories. Um, it, her, she was she was on. This is it was really a commuter flight for her because she was always she was going back and forth from New York City to Charlotte. So she was pretty familiar with the flight, as were a lot of the other passengers on Flight 1549, the U.S. Air flight that went down into the Hudson. So, uh, but her experience obviously was unique to her. She was alone. She was um, on business, going back to Charlotte. Uh, she was sitting, and she had some lessons. That's why I I, want to mention, and I'm not going to tell you everybody's stories in the book, but I will tell you hers. She was was sitting in the row, just behind the exit row. And I asked her, I said, uh, Pam, what, you know, at what point did you feel like or did you get a sense that there was something wrong? And she said, well, you know, it was just a routine flight. We went, we took off, you know, and uh, suddenly we would take off and then almost immediately, or what seemed immediately, they heard a bang, this kind of like just a bang, and they thought, well, you know, it can't, the first thought is denial, it can't be, or what would it be, or there couldn't be anything, we just took off, and, but as she's going through that thought process, then what begins to happen is, and it takes time, I guess, for the engines to shut down, as Pam said, so the engines suddenly shut down, and there's this very, eerie, just silence. You're on a plane, and it is silence. And, of course, nobody said anything, including the flight engineers. The pilot obviously couldn't talk to them. He had other things to do. So they're sort of sitting there in this silence. And then I, I, I said, did people become panicky? Did they? She said, no. Some screamed, but not in this chaotic, panicky situation, but some of the passengers screamed, and others just put their heads down and prayed. And I said to Pam, like, which one were you? And she said, well, I, I prayed, but she, but she's a person who is, well, as a vice 
senior as a senior vice president of Bank America. She's somebody who is a problem solver. So she said she prayed. She thought about her two children who are 17 and 18, uh, even though they're not young, but how are they going to survive with her husband if she died? So she thought about her family. Uh, and so she had these kind of like practical thoughts going through her head. And then she heard the pilot say, Brace for impact. And she said, the minute I heard that, I looked outside. I could see the Hudson River. I knew. She said, I knew. Other passengers didn't necessarily know because they weren't familiar with that flight as she was. But she said, I knew that we were going to be landing in the Hudson. And she said, and at that point, I knew I'd be okay. For some reason, she felt like she was going to be okay. And they braced for impact. And then, you know, it was, we're talking just seconds or, or, or minutes, they landed. And she said, it really, the impact itself was not as extraordinary as she thought it would be. She said it, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it, it was obviously not something that was a, a normal landing, but and she bumped her head and she got bruises and, and those kinds of things. But the minute they landed, she realized she said she knew she was sitting behind the exit roll and she was planning her exit, how she was going to get out of there. One of the things she said was the people in the exit rows did what they had to do. They opened, and I can't remember whether the door opens in or opens out, but these people knew what they were doing. They attended to the doors appropriately so that everybody could get outside. Now, these are passengers under extraordinary circumstances, obviously, and she jumped in the water. She thought she was going to swim to New York, and she said that if she were going to swim anywhere, she was, I guess, closer to New Jersey, but then realized that, you know, she looked around and there were rescue boats and she, it was freezing. The waters were freezing, but her adrenaline was going. It, it, it was so much, she had so much adrenaline in her body, she said she really didn't even experience the coldness. And then she got back on the wing, I guess she got back on the wing of the plane as did a few people uh, who had decided that they were just going to jump and that they were not going to <clears throat> stay on the plane. But this is just one of those incredible stories. I mean, and uh, they interviewed, I think, 120 or 120 of the survivors who were on the flight uh, told their story so, to, the, to, the, to the writers. So I recommend this book. It's called Miracle on the Hudson. That's just one story. The survivors of Flight 1549 tell their extraordinary stories of courage, faith, and determination. An amazing story. Uh, you know, think about it. What would it be like to face certain death and then miraculously walk away? I don't know. I've never been in that kind of a position, but uh, all of these passengers obviously have an amazing, amazing story. Here's another one. This is very different. This is another book that... Uh, um, it's, it's called Toxic Friends, and this is something that ladies can identify with. Toxic Friends, the antidote for women stuck in complicated friendships. And how many of you ladies have been stuck in complicated friendships? Women take their relationships very, very seriously. I know I do. Um, from childhood through high school careers, motherhood, and on through the golden years, Friendship is one of the most important components in a woman's life. That is so true. So then the question is, why are female friendships so complicated and so often fraught with pain? And I know I have a lot of those kinds of relationships, hence the book Toxic Friends. Susan Barris, Barish Shapiro, and many of you may have read some of her other books, is the author of 
10 books, teaches gender studies at Marymount Mount Manhattan College, and is a well-recognized gender expert. Uh, you've seen her on many television shows, radio shows. She lives in New York City. Anyway, uh, this is her 11th book. Um, she, in, in Toxic Friends, um, she explores, and, and think about this, it, it, 10 types of female friends, and she lists them, the leader, the doormat, the sacrificer, the misery lover, the user, and, and then she has another one called the frenemy, the trophy friend. If you buy the book, she goes into detail about each one of these toxic they can be. Um, the mirroring friend, the sharer, the authentic friend. And what she does is she, she stares stories cold from research with women of all ages and all walks of life. So she really points out how, and, she, you know, she's, labeled all of these toxic relationships that women have with their girlfriends, how women, she defines the relationships and tells you how you can get out of some of these hurtful relationships and how to recognize a true friend. Um, It's really hard to imagine how a a woman won't be able to identify with and benefit from at least one of the many situations in this book. Uh, So it's Toxic Friends, the Antidote for Women Stuck in Complicated Friendships. Um, and here's some of the statistics that she think about this. These are I don't know if they'll surprise you or not, but she in writing this book she uh, did some research. Uh, over 80% of women regretted a breakup with a friend. 80%. So even if you break up a friend, somebody who's toxic, women really regret that kind of relationship. Even more than breaking up with a husband, believe it or not, or a partner or a spouse, it's more difficult to, for women to break up with a girlfriend, a long-term relationship or otherwise, I guess. Um, 65% of women said they remain friends with a woman who is difficult on some level. And I think that's true. At least that's been my experience. Um, even if it's a difficult relationship, even if it's somebody that is harmful to you, you women tend to stick with the relationship, which is too bad. That's over half of the women remain in these toxic relationships. Here's another one, ladies. Do you find, and I know that this is true, I have several girlfriends, 80% of women said they are competitive with their female friends. What do you think? Uh, I'm competitive with my female friends. That's just the nature of the relationship, but I guess that's okay. Uh, It just depends on how much. Um, Here's another statistic. 90%, 90%, these are statistics from uh, from the book, uh, 90% said their sense of self is tied to their friendships with other women. So it's, you know, they're very closely, your female relationships are important uh, your, so that uh, your whole sense of self is even tied up in your relationship with your girlfriends. Um, Here's another statistic. 85% of women that she interviewed, that Susan interviewed, said that they weren't sure where to place a close friend in terms of their priorities. That's interesting. Um, Whether they're, I mean, I have had girlfriends who are in competition with my boyfriend, and that's that's, in terms of my time. Uh, and I think that many women can identify with that, and that's what she, I guess the statistics bear that out. over 70% of women that she admitted to power struggles with friendships. Okay, 70%. I don't know that men do that. I think they just get rid of the relationship if it's not working out. They don't have that same kind of intimate ties with their male friends as women do with their female friends. 
Um, so, uh, I, this is a book I recommend for, for you ladies if you're struggling with your relationships, your female, with your girlfriends. Uh, it's very enlightening and Susan Barish, uh, her book explores, as I said, the various types of female friends and how and why they connect and examines the nature of toxic friendships and why some women get stuck in these relationships, unable to recognize who their true friends are. That's the premise of the book. And if you want more information about this book, you can go to Susan Shapiro Barish. Dot com. You can get more, you can buy the book at bookstores everywhere everywhere on Amazon.com. And there's more information about Susan Barish. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone. We've got more coming up in this hour. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are there any mistakes in your life that you've made that you want to keep? Think about that for just a second. Are there any mistakes in your life that you want to keep? Creativity is allowing yourself to make mistakes, but art is knowing which ones to keep. Join internationally recognized author, speaker, and master coach M. Nora Claver for Bare Naked with Nora Claver, a celebration of life and all the inevitable mistakes we make through the course of it. Join Nora Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. I got some more stuff to talk to you about. You know, I recommended those two books in the last seg. Well, here's a very interesting company, a fairly new company. It's called Limelight Generations, founded in 2002. It's a public relations company, Limelight Communications. Um, 
And it's very, Limelight sets the state. Well, I, I'm going to talk to you about exactly what the premise of Limelight Generations is. It's one of the only generational companies in the United States which focuses solely on the opinions, habits, and preferences of generations X, Y, and Z. So they folk, the baby boomer generation uh, is coming in, is, is uh, sort of end. well, I don't want to say it's ending. We have like four generations in the workplace, the traditionalist, the generation, the baby boomer generation, generation X, and generation Y. But this particular company maintains, and Sarah Sladek is the CEO of the company, uh, she maintains that because the baby boomers are starting to retire and the new generation, X, Y, and Z, are starting to take over in the workplace, that it's going to be a very different kind of workplace and that corporations and businesses are not ready to handle them because they do business differently than the traditionalists or the baby boomers. Um, Sarah Sladek, who is the president and CEO, this is an interesting, con- uh, just an interesting concept, is a Gen Xer herself, and she's authored two books, numerous articles, given presentations on the topic of generational recruitment, retention, and marketing nationwide. So what she says is, if you're going to keep these next, this, uh, the, the next generation, X, Y, and Z, in the workplace, companies are going to have to do things differently because these generations work differently. They don't work nine to five. They, uh, you know, aren't working for that gold watch. Uh, they have a different relationship with with their managers, with their bosses, and 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 in order for a company to function well and to pay attention to the bottom line, they're going to have to deal with this new generation in a different way. As the demand for our expertise, says she, in generational marketing increased, and it became evident that few countries in the United States were equipping business, association, industry, and community leaders for the emergence of the next generation. Um, So in late 2007, Sarah says, the company name was changed, her company name was changed to Limelight Generations uh, to further their dedication in this area of expertise. Now, Limelight Generations, their commitment is to their client success and their specialty is succession planning, kind of like in a family, passing down the, 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 the money or the business. We, and she says, we realize that if you can't engage the participation and loyalty of generations X, Y, and Z, your organization doesn't have a future. This is not a task to be taken lightly. I don't know many companies that have addressed it, but I know it is a problem in small companies, entrepreneurial companies, in big corporations. Um, it's just a whole new area, and uh, this is Limelight. Limelight Generations is the company that uh, that is addressing it. Um, they, and she says, Sarah Sladek, who's the CEO of the company, our clients benefit from our breadth of generational knowledge, marketing expertise, results-driven project management, innovative solutions aimed at dramatically improving uh, the company's performance and engaging younger generations. Because what she has found, and I had spoken to her the other day, is actually that uh, these the, the younger generations, Gen X, Gen Y, and even younger, 
will go to work for a major company and then they'll leave because they really it it just doesn't fit into who they are and how they want to do their business. So companies are going to have to accommodate them, and that's going to be a big change, as I said, and and in corporate America as well as in uh, as, as well with smaller companies with smaller entrepreneurial companies. So if you're interested in this, and I know that she does. Uh, conferences and, and speaking engagements around the country, uh, you can go to limelightgenerations.com and uh, they have a whole workshop series uh, that is on their website and you can sign up for them. Uh, they have a lot of upcoming workshops throughout the year. Very interesting. It's an interesting company and I think it's a new problem and something that uh, obviously that we need to address. Uh, so Sarah Sladek, we're going to have her on the show. I think we're going to have her on the show next week. Um, you can. I was trying to find out, see if we could look for some of these uh, these conferences when she's going to be, because she goes all over the country. She's out of Minnesota, um, but there are several workshops. I don't know if there are any here in New York or not. But anyway, that's uh, Sarah Sladek. All right, here's another. Limelight Generations. Now, here's another one. I just want to recommend another book to you. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember the Spiegel Catalog, but uh, the great-granddaughter of the fat Joseph Spiegel, he was the one that was that big catalog that they'd sent to your house and you could order anything you wanted. They had them when I was like a little girl. Jill Spiegel, uh, his great-granddaughter, uh, is uh, has a new book, and she. you can go to Jill Spiegel. Dot com, JillSpiegel.com, dot com, um, and, and she talks to you about how to connection. Uh, she's very, she graduated from the University of Minnesota, and she is a she, Jill Spiegel is a connector. She helps you to. This is what our whole show is about connecting, and that's I'm looking for the uh, the website JillSpiegel.com. dot com. She was on uh, my show a couple days ago. Um, JillSpiegel.com. Go to that website. She is a comedian. She's been on Oprah Winfrey, Good Morning America. Uh, she goes around the country. Uh, she she developed this country. A com- she has a company called Goal Getter. Goal Getter is a motivational firm which she, where she spreads her message through her hit seminars and speeches to Fortune 500 companies, organizations, and community centers across the country. Um, so she's also tell, helping um, Fortune 500 companies how that they can get the, their um, middle management, upper management, how to connect, to communicate. It's all about communication. Um, and so you, if you go to her website, uh, she also does seminars and, and big seminars. She's doing one here in New York, I guess, in New York City next week. Anyway, uh, early on she felt she had a mission to help others develop their connection skills. So it's all about connecting today. Anyway, um, we have three, oh, we just have a few minutes before we close, but I just want you to know that Maria Shriver, you probably have seen her on the morning shows. She's been on all week. She's done this research. It's called A Woman's Nation, which is a new report from Maria Shriver, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. You all know who she is. Tells us how just how much women's lives have changed. And she has been doing this amazing study, which uh, you can go on to uh, Maria Shriver for her website. Uh, a study of the state of women today, their work life and their home life. 
through polling and interviews, the partnership has produced a very meaty report called A Woman's Nation Changes Everything. Time Magazine and NBC News outlets have been reporting the results of this study, as I said, all week long. Lots of interesting stuff, lots of new stuff, new generation, this uh, XYZ generation, very different than the baby boomers. Uh, women are kind of taking over the workplace, which is interesting. So there have to be changes in the workplace, which is what I've been talking about for this past half hour. Uh, the website is the Shriver Report, A Woman's Nation Changes Everything. And there's uh, a link to the NBC News videos from the Today Show and MSNBC. Uh, here's one of them. Fully half of U.S. workers are females, and mothers have become the primary breadwinners in, breadwinners in four in ten American families. So we've got to do something. We've got mothers out there in the workplace, half of the workplace, uh, our workplace workers are female. Half of all families rely on the earnings of two parents. And in more than 20% of all families, a single mother is the primary breadwinner. So we have to adjust the workplace for these breadwinners. 70% of families with kids include a working mother. Shriver says, and I'm going to leave you with this, and more and more of them, like me, are moving into what I call the squeeze generation, caring for both kids and our own aging parents. So you have an entirely, you have a different, you have a workforce of X, Y, and Z, younger people in the workplace, you have women in the workplace. All of this needs to be accommodated so that companies and businesses can accomplish their bottom line and also women, can, there can be a balance between work and family. Anyway, we've reached the end of our hour. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week. hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.